Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello, welcome back. This is the old crime time. <laughs> old time crime gals. I know we've been gone for two weeks now because we took a holiday, but I guess you forgot what our name was. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, my goodness. But right, you it's did been two weeks. Yes, did you enjoy your two weeks? I did. You, actually, you I went think. out of town, didn't you? You actually got to saw the beach. You saw the beach, right? I did see the beach. See, I never made it to the beach. Just for I the day. To to the and I got like stripes on my legs. It's white <laughs> and red and white and red. No, okay. So where my car doesn't have AC, you see my, oh, yeah. my arms are two different colors. <laughs> but they're pretty tan. At least both of them are tan, but one is darker one than the other. One is darker than the other. And then that big old watch, white band around my, my wrist. So, Definitely need to even, even it out. I, yes, my little stripes on my legs are very interesting looking. But we welcome you back to Old Crime Time Gals. Old Time Crime Gals. <laughs> over. No, yes. no, leave it. We're human. Uh, we are human. Old Time And guess whose birthday gals. it is tomorrow. That's why she's out of whack. I am out of whack. So I'll be a year older. But I think I've already aged. <laughs> old Time Crime Gals. Yes. You got it Thank right. Thank y'all for putting up with us. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so it's Shannon here. I do remember my name <laughs> with Melissa. Um, and we welcome you back. So we're back into hot weather around here. I think last time we talked, we had a cool front come through, but uh, we're doing good. To... So today we're going to be talking about the killer voice. And um, so let's get started. We're talking about Dorothy Jane Scott. She was a very kind woman. She had one son named Sean. She was a single mother, and she worked very hard, right? Very mm -hmm. hard to support her son. She uh, lived with her aunt in a small town um, in Southern California called Stanton. She was 32, and her life, um, according to a friend, this. and this is in quotes. It was a friend. A fr <laughs> yeah, a friend said this in quotes. She was as dull as a phone book. End quote. Well, she said her life was. Maybe not her. Maybe she wasn't as dull as a phone book. Oh, yeah. Just her life was as dull as a phone book. Yes, her life. I'm sorry. Because she didn't do a lot. She, she just worked. Worked yeah, and came home. Worked and know, came home. Which is no, what a lot her, of us do. But. but if her friend hung out with her, then, yeah. you know, I guess she thought she needed to get out and do things. So... Her life was um, as dull as a phone book. <laughs> Melissa, you might want to take over. <laughs> she was very religious, so she didn't do drugs. Um, she didn't drink. And this was unfortunately surprising. Well, I guess not unfortunately surprising, but surprising. Was it? Uh, that was bad wording <laughs> on my part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, she was a very nice woman who didn't yes. do those things. But yes. it's surprising that she didn't because it was the 80s and it was California. And, you know, the culture at the time was, you know, coming out of the the hippies and, yeah. the, you know, drugs are around. They're easy to get. They're, you know. Yeah. And, thing. you know, now we have such restrictions on smoking. Um, yeah. You know, back then it didn't matter. And so, so yeah, it was... Um, she was very calm and peaceful and dull as a phone book was her <laughs> life. So she, um, considering the time period, for her to be able to fight those forces of the world and all of the things in it, which we're kind of 
yeah. having to do that now. So, um, and she was also a secretary for two shops. And I guess they were joined together. Yep. All right. So remember this now. I ca- I kind of called it the oxymoron story today yeah. because her life is kind of an oxymoron. If you don't know what an oxymoron is, it's kind of like your icy hot creams. It's where two things come together and they don't necessarily always like you're so bad that you're trying to say you're so cool. Um so, anyway, I call this the oxymoron story. Today's grammar lesson brought to you by Shannon. <laughs> so, she worked at a place called Swingers <laughs> Psych Shop. And that's P-S-Y-C-H. So, Swingers Psych Shop. And the other was Custom John's Head Shop. And both of these were hippie um, drug paraphernalia shops in Anaheim, California. When I see Custom John's head shop. I had to look up what a head shop was. And that's like a shop that sells all the drug stuff, I I, guess. Well, it was like. I think you could go get get your supplies in one place and go hang out and and use them in another kind of thing. Okay, gotcha. Because I think of. Like the hookah vapor stuff we have going on. Because if you think about it, those are two words put together that mean toilet. So, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's where their life was going, down the toilet. So, she was... Um, say no to drugs. Yes, say no to drugs. So, being religious and doing all that, it was kind of, you know, an oxymoron that she worked at these two places. That, that promoted that kind of life. Yeah. So, she was the secretary. And uh, her parents watched her son, Sean, while she was working. She worked early in the morning until the evening. She rarely went out. Phone book. Um, was a phone yep. book. <laughs> rarely went out. She didn't date much at all. And her life revolved around working and taking care of her son. So, I mean, she was a good mom. And there's nothing boring about that. Because children make our life very exciting. You know? <laughs> so, um, Melissa and I both, we're blessed to have exciting children. So, however, her doll as a phone book life was about to get a little interesting. And not in a good way. Hmm. She began receiving strange phone calls at work. Remember now, that's another cue to the phone book. Anybody could get your number back then. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember looking our phone number up in the phone book and being excited to find like my mom and dad's name. And yeah. like that was our home phone number listed in the big old you, phone book. You just didn't Which the learn. big old phone book and now is like, you know, right. Super thin, everyone's unlisted, and you don't want any calls. So yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird. But anyway. So, she started getting these strange calls, and um, she thought, you know, she would recognize the caller, but she couldn't place the person. And so, she thought the person sounded kind of familiar, you know, how you hear a voice. Um, And I'm sure they started off pretty tame, and it seemed as if she had a secret admirer, which, that's always kind of neat. Not nowadays, especially since we do a crime <laughs> podcast. You don't really want a secret admirer. But, but a long time ago, when it wasn't quite as dangerous and deadly. Um, but only this admirer not only knew about her day, and he could actually recount it to her as like what she was wearing. That's, that's creepy. Yes, very creepy. Um, soon the calls started taking a different tone. Sometimes the caller would express love for her, and others there was a hint of violence and anger. They were deeply disturbing. Uh, eventually, one conversation made Dorothy believe that she should buy a handgun for protection. 
So during this one call, um, her admirer told Dorothy, and this is a quote, now you're going to come my way. And when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits. So no one will find you end quote. That's mm. so that's a little creepy. Yeah. That's um, so as if receiving calls for months from a stranger that seems to know your every movement and wasn't creepy enough um, and scary. I mean, I, yeah, scary and all that. Uh, this particular call definitely would set anyone on edge. Mm-hmm. Dorothy in retaliation, she started taking karate classes and um, lessons in an effort so that she could defend herself. Which is always a wise thing to do. And which we were just talking about that because in our area there are some classes that to do like, um, you know, active shooter training or low light combat training mm-hmm. and how to recognize like IDs and like that's not only something very valuable that you could use, you almost nowadays need it, yeah. feel like you need it, you know, when you read the, the news headlines. Yeah, so even just walking out to your car sometimes. So definitely, or get your children to where they can protect themselves. Um, Karate, jujitsu. I feel like I need to be in a bulletproof car. And not even just outside. I mean, the way. Okay, three neighborhoods from ranges. here. Yes. Did you hear about that? No. There were 50 bullet casings found in the neighborhood around here. And they woke up this morning and had another drive-by shooting in, um, I don't really want to say where we're at, but a couple neighborhoods from here. Oh, my word. Wow. Within the last couple of days. It's getting crazy. So, we might have to, you know, start. I don't know. Maybe we can manufacture bulletproof glass or something uh so anyway just be safe and try to get your family members to just be safe sometimes we think oh it can't happen to me but we just don't know so so she started taking lessons and then it was only about a week later into her karate training when the unthinkable happened now going to i mean obviously we know what happened as the killer voice that's in the title of the episode but she only takes these lessons for a week. He already knew what she was doing all the time. Yeah. So he probably figured, well, she's learning karate. I better that's true. get at her Take before action. she knows yeah. before she knows what she's doing. Yeah. So true. she only she only had received like a week's worth of lessons before. The unthinkable happened. So <laughs> on May twenty eighth, that sounded like a good ending. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> are we pause or not? But that's okay. Y'all are being so patient. Thank you. <laughs> May 28, 1980, was a breezy Wednesday um, evening. Dorothy brought um, Sean back to her parents, her son, and headed off to work where there was an employee meeting. During the meeting, she noticed one of her coworkers seemed a bit off. Don't talk about me now, Melissa. I know I seem a bit off. <laughs> His name was Conrad Ballstrom. He was looking kind of sick, and he couldn't sit still. Fidgeting fidgeting in his seat or so Dorothy noticed a red mark on his arm and it was starting to swell. She convinced him that he needed to go to the hospital and she would be happy to take him. And then another employee, Pam head offered to ride along head. (laughs) She's related to John's head smoke, whatever that shop. John's head shop. (laughs) Yeah. Custom John. Oh, you know what? They were having an employee meeting. Maybe she was custom John's head and maybe (laughs) she's married to John. I don't know. All right. So the trio, Pam and the other guy, what was his name? Conrad. They all went off. (laughs) They went, they started to head to the UCI medical center. No, it's fine. First, um, Dorothy stopped by. Like, I know your arm's (laughs) swelling. You might be dying, but we're going to stop by my 
parents' house. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, she stops by her parents' house. To check on her son. There were no cell phones, remember? Oh, there are no cell phones. So she probably Never wanted, wear the phone book. Yeah, she might have wanted to give a heads up. Like, <laughs> hey, you know, we might be a little longer. we got to go to the hospital. Um, but at her parents' house is when she decides to change from a black oh, scarf yes, to, a red. to a red scarf. Oh, yep. And that's important. I wonder why, though. What, what do you I, think? Just that was her day scarf, the evening scarf, or that was her uh, emergency scarf. I don't know. <laughs> her non-dull phone book life scarf. Spice it up a little See, bit. I'm going I'm to not, the hospital. Yeah. They put on like instead of red lipstick, she just grabbed a red scarf. I'm not just a phone book life. I wear red. So, yeah. So she puts on a red scarf, and then um, let's see. <laughs> So they make it to the hospital. Yes. So they find out. Guess what he'd been bitten by? A black widow spider. Oh, those things creep me out. Yes. So he'd been bit. So it's a good thing he hadn't died when she went to change yeah. her scarf. <laughs> she had to look good at the hospital. Um, while he was being treated, Pam and Dorothy waited in the lobby of the emergency room. And they talked and read old magazines. Because they never have any new ones out. You know, they always yeah, have old magazines. And people weren't as scared to touch them back then. <laughs> <laughs> now we're like, oh, I think now we have phones. You don't have to look at magazines. So they probably are safer than they've ever been to touch. <laughs> hey, I'm sure nobody's read this magazine because they'd look on their phone. So, and they probably got some snacks because, you know, when you're waiting for somebody. That's the only thing you could do with the emergency room. And vending, vending machines. Vending machines. I bet in the 80s, a, oh a Kit Kat or a Hershey was like 25 cents. <laughs> I Man, yeah. Now you have that. to be like take two dollars with you to go get a candy bar. So, pretty much the only thing you can do while waiting in the ER is pass some time because you know it's no fun waiting for someone in the ER. I'm sure everyone out there has done it. If you haven't, that is be awesome. <laughs> you are yes, truly blessed. Because Melissa and I here, we've we've spent hours in hospitals, ERs, and all that. So, Conrad, who was the friend with the black widow spider bite. He's finally released, and he's left a little confused um, as to when he ran into the horrible spider. Well, that's because they're sneaky like that. You're not yeah. really supposed to see them, or you wouldn't have gotten bitten, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he was given a prescription, and he decided to get it filled at the hospital, which is always nice, because then you're not sitting in the drugstore sick as a dog waiting mm -hmm. for your prescription. So while he's waiting, Dorothy knew uh, they were about to leave, so she offered to pull the car around. And Pam waited with Conrad and they watched Dorothy head out into the dark parking lot. Okay. So they're letting their friend go into a dark parking lot alone. And she's been receiving threatening phone calls. Like that's such a good idea, right? You know, yeah. you go out and get your car in the dark by yourself. We'll just stand right here where it's safe in the building. Maybe her week of karate lessons. She thought she could do something. <laughs> I don't know. So that, that just, Never wise going to the dark. And I'm sure by then they didn't have as much lighting and, you know, still struggle with that sometimes at these places. So Conrad gets his medicine and the two friends walk outside to wait for Dorothy to bring the car around. So they're standing out there and they glance over to the parking lot. They can't see her vehicle. So they figure she was just in the process of circling around to pick them up. And then suddenly they see Dorothy pulling up. But it seemed like she was driving awfully fast. Then, blinded by the beams of the headlights, the car speeds past them. And no. as they're waving their hands at Dorothy, stop, the car speeds out of the parking lot, taking a sharp right onto the street. So she's gone. So she didn't, she didn't get them. 
she passed go and did not pick up people. <laughs> so Pam could not believe what she was seeing. And they were standing there thinking, why would Dorothy leave us here stranded knowing they didn't have a way home? So Conrad was just as confused as Dorothy. And he probably and had, he was probably groggy and yeah, like feeling bad. And yeah. was like, what, 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 yeah. the, what, like what, what happened? Which the two of them came to the conclusion that something must have happened with her son. But again, how did we, we talked about that. There's no cell phones. How would she just know, oh, I'm going to go get the car around and then speed out the parking lot. Because, yeah, they were the last people to see her. She goes to the car and there's no phone. So yeah. that is kind of, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Conrad and Pam knew something was not right. And then several hours later, her car was located. Well, they decided to wait. So they waited. Oh, yeah, they yeah, waited at the hospital for one hour, but then they waited for two. Like, I don't know why yeah. you would wait two hours after you saw the car speed, speed out the parking lot. Especially, I have a black wheel bike. I want to get in my bed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, and then I'd be calling the police and say something was fishy and just, yeah. So they wait, but they waited. And then several hours later, um, they, oh, they did notify well, the medical they police. No, yeah, they notified okay. like the security staff from the hospital. Okay, but they didn't. They didn't. They, what do they can do? She's a grown woman. She left on her own. They watched her leave the parking lot. Like it's not our yeah. problem after she leaves. And you used to now hospitals have a, like a true police force but... sitting right by the metal detector before you walk in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't know if our local one does, but I know the bigger city ones do. But um, so that used to, I'm sure these people were just more like security type people that didn't really have a lot of authority. But they still didn't see a reason for concern. I just, that, that still wouldn't make sense to me because I'm like, your friend came, you offered to bring him, you changed your scarf. <laughs> you know, and they're waiting. You say, I'm going to get the car and you don't come back. That's fishy. That just isn't what a friend, especially mm -hmm. with her history and background. Um, so... Let's see. They called. They ended up um, calling the parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so Pam called the parents, and they wanted to see if she had gone to pick up Sean. And the parents said they hadn't seen her since she popped in before taking Conrad to the hospital. Hmm. So Conrad and Pam knew something was wrong. Um, so several hours later, her car was located. So yep. we can take a break there, and we'll come back. We sure can. They found the car. Okay, so we found the car. Where was the car? It was in Santa Ana in an alleyway, and it was burning. It was on fire? Yep. So, and no one appeared to be inside. There was no sign of Dorothy in sight, and this did not look good at all. So, following the car being found, the UCI police were investigating Dorothy's disappearance. So, now it was important. Yes. <laughs> and burning car. Okay. We'll give it some thought. They advised her family to remain tight-lipped, don't speak to the press about the surrounding circumstances of her case. Um, there was no media or anything that, you know, they didn't want to make it too complicated to find out what actually happened. And again, we've got to remember, this is the 80s, no cameras, no iPhone In your face. Yeah, <laughs> no doorbell. People trying yeah. to get in the crime scene tape. That's or... right. Uh, about a week later, another phone call happens. This time is to her parents' residence, and Dorothy's mother, Vera, answers. A male voice asks if she's related to Dorothy. Her mother replies, yes. And the man on the other end simply said, 
I've got her and hung up. Man, that would whew, mm-hmm. I, that would tear my nerves. I would not sleep. No, well, I already wouldn't be sleeping. But I, yeah, it right. would make it would make matters much worse. So after not getting anywhere with the investigation, Dorothy's father goes against the police um, wishes, and he contacts a local paper, and he tells the story of his daughter's disappearance in hopes that someone will come forward with information. Uh, so the story ran. And then when it ran that very same day, another call was placed. This time it is to the editor of the Santa Ana Anna register, the paper that ran the story. Pat Riley was the one talking to the mysterious male caller and the caller stated, I, this is in quotes. I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her in quotes. Um, so, and, and from what we've already said about her, she, you know, her son was her yeah, first she didn't really responsibility you know, go yeah. date or anything. Um, so then he uh, continued to divulge information that wasn't released to the public, indicating that he likely was the one that had done something horrible to Dorothy. He actually mentioned, remember the red scarf mm-hmm. that she put on? Um, he actually mentioned that she was wearing a black scarf all day until she stopped in her at her parents' house to check on her son um, before heading to the hospital, and that she had changed into a red one shortly before taking Conrad to the ER. And he knew Conrad was being treated for a spider bite at UCI. He mentioned that Dorothy called him to let him know that she was at the hospital. Again, she was in and out to change her scarf and no phone call that we've been told and there's no cell phones. Well, that so. will see Pam was with her the whole entire time. That's right. Yeah. And so the only time Dorothy ever was alone was she had a short bathroom break before exiting the parking lot to get the car. So you can't make a phone call in the bathroom if you don't have a cell phone. That's right. So, um, and Pam had doubts about this because like (laughs) Melissa just said, she was with Dorothy the entire evening. And you know, girls want to say, Hey, does this red scarf look okay? And of course, you know, yeah, it looks better than the black one, you know, pop a color. So yeah, they were together. Um, then the investigation also focused on her coworkers and a small circle, um, of people that just, you know, she was at her job all day, went home. So but she, she just, didn't work in the, like, if you were a customer and walked into the shop, you right. wouldn't have seen her because she worked in the back. Right. So it's not anyone that can just randomly watch the windows of the shop all day long to see what to be was somebody, going on. Yeah. Somebody close to her. She probably didn't want to be seen considering the two types of shops she worked in and being religious. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so it had to be someone in her small circle, but the police could not find anything that was questionable. Um, soon they were out of leads and the case went cold. Even with the case being cold, the calls continued. They haunted Dorothy's mother, Vera, for four years. Four years after phone calls. That, I mean, her daughter's disappeared and they keep calling for four years. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. They couldn't find this person, um, especially for four years calling. Almost like clockwork, every Wednesday when she was home alone, the phone would ring. So that means he was watching her, too, if he knew she was alone. The same gruffy, disguised male voice would quickly say, in quotes, I've got her, I've killed her, or is Dorothy there to torment the family? Police had the phone lines tapped in an attempt to trace the calls, but the man never stayed on the phone long enough um, for the trace to be completed. You know... That is kind of 
eerie. And back then we didn't have caller ID. So you're going to pick up the phone. Yeah. I mean, even if it's the same one every week that calls the same time. I mean, she had gonna, to. Yeah. Because um, what if one day he just decides to be chatty all of a sudden after four that's years? That's right. So she had to keep answering the phone. That lady was Thinking torturing. today, maybe today's the day I can keep him on for 30 seconds or however like, long it movie yeah. wise it's always like 30 seconds yeah. so we, don't, we don't know um i don't officially know but to keep them talking long enough to find out more information right um so she just had to be exhausted and devastated and her poor husband who couldn't do anything about it you know, it just had to be hard and um so we imagine that vera wanted to stop answering uh but like melissa said in case he's chatty so um, finally, the caller placed a call in the evening, and Jacob, Dorothy's father, answered. So that was different. And maybe he assumed another family had finally moved in and got spooked. But after that, the calls just stopped that April of 1984. So the dad answers. And I guess that either it scared him, like maybe he would, maybe it's someone that, in, you know, that they yeah. knew of, and he thought he would get recognized if he spoke. Yeah. And after. Jacob answers the phone. The calls just stop. And if I was Dorothy's mother, I'd be like, my goodness, why couldn't you pick up the phone like week two? Please? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why couldn't you this? have answered this one phone three years ago? Yeah, I've been doing this for years, man. What are you doing to me? Oh, poor but, Jacob so it just, They just stop. So that's, that's just crazy. And it's weird how it, it stops when Jacob answers the phone. So it makes me think that it's someone that Jacob knows as well. Right. So um, three months later, I was looking out the window, oh, Melissa. Yeah. I saw. I well, saw. I didn't know if it was one of those Carvana things, no, 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 bringing he, somebody a car. Well, you know, he, yeah, anyway. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to the neighborhood. Yeah. I digress, <laughs> but, you know, you've seen those commercials for the last year. We'll bring you your car. Does that really work? I don't know. Anyway. Well, what now? The what Carvana, you know. I know someone who bought a car off of Carvana, but when she went to go pick it up out of the car vending machine, because we have vending machines that deliver cars, it happened to be broken that day. So she oh could she goodness. couldn't you've seen it though. Have you seen yeah. it when you go, yeah. yeah. So she she was gonna watch it come down on a little car vending machine and pull out, but she she couldn't because oh it was goodness. broken. That day. And now they'll deliver to your house. It's just yeah. wow, what a wild year year. Wild things. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So we're a long way from the eighties. Three months later, there was a break in the case and a construction worker was off of Santa Anion, Anna Canyon Road. Woo, that's a Can't tongue twister. Santa Anna Hello. Canyon Road. Yeah. If you live there, I'm sorry. Um, he was working in the brush, and he came across some bones that appeared to be a dog. He was clearing them out of the way when underneath he could make out, um, just under the dirt, something that was not dog bones. He uncovered a pelvis, two thigh bones, an arm, and a skull. There was also a turquoise ring and a watch. The watch had stopped at 1230 a.m. on May 29th. Vera, her mother, recognized, Dorothy's mother, recognized the ring and the watch as personal belongings of her daughter. And one week later, forensics confirmed that the remains were Dorothy Scott. I'm really amazed. It was only took a week. Now we're like six months out. Yeah. But, but that's because crime is just soaring through the yeah. room. Again, just as things are seeming like they're coming to a close, because, I mean, they found her, so maybe there will be some closure. Vera and Jacob no longer... You know, they don't have hope of finding their daughter alive. They can begin the grieving process and start working on laying Dorothy to rest. But after the story ran in the paper that Dorothy had been found, the phone started to ring again. Putting the family through more unnecessary turmoil, 
the familiar male voice began to ask, is Dorothy home? The caller made two calls in total. Wow. Okay, why, why the last two? Like, they just, they found her just let because well, he's evil, be, man. evil, evil, evil. So he's de evil, de evil, yeah. <laughs> he's de evil, he's a devil. So Jacob Scott, he died in 1994, and then his wife Vera passed away in 2002. So she had to live almost 10 more years without her husband as support. Man, and both, um, they neither one of them knew exactly what took their daughter's life or who. Mm -hmm. And um, continued to torture this person, continued to torture them years after the fact. It takes a special kind of psychopath to keep taunting the victims' families continuously for four years. The case is still unsolved to this day. No one has been arrested or able to be identified as the stalker. Uh, so, you know, it's really sad. I mean, it'd be, and I don't know if anybody would ever bring it back up. Unless somebody just got really interested and tried to do well, something. Well, unless, because th there was no mention of siblings or anybody else in the family. Yeah. And then once once the family is gone and there's no one to push, and That's it's true. been so long ago, and there's no no evidence, none, like no extra D yeah. DNA, which we weren't really too concerned about DNA in the 80s. But yeah. um, you couldn't do cause of death because by the time they found her, it was just skeletal remains and just pieces. So, so just kind of a sad sad case but you know for dorothy scott she was a human being that deserved to live life and obviously a great mother oh well her son we don't know what happened to her son though right i didn't look i didn't look for that either. okay next so, time i'll try to build a family tree <laughs> she always <laughs> asks me what happened to the kids oh, i don't know so that's something you I can look up if you're interested like what happened to sean scott and see i'm sure he was well loved by vera and jacob and yes. her aunt i didn't even mention her aunt that she was living with so yeah so some other people around that um, might have some thoughts about it. But anyway, Dorothy Scott was a valued human being, had a great, um, she was a great parent. She worked hard um, and her son, she loved him. And so, and her parents obviously loved her. So um, hopefully having the grandchild kind of helped them keep going as well. But this is a sad thing to think mm -hmm. about that uh, and i'm thankful for the technology that we have now that we can it's so much easier now to yes. trace where someone has been where someone has gone the, the cell phones and pinging off the towers and tracing calls much faster and a little nice and scary at the same time yes. so but hey thanks for joining us sorry i got off to a rough start <laughs> now we're talking like we had to, we had to break her back in yeah been gone for a while and and torture her a little bit since her birthday's tomorrow and she gets to enjoy the day off oh yes <laughs> yes my birthday but um i'm thankful that i have another birthday so a lot of blessings but just um hope you enjoyed the podcast and i think we're going to try to do this again next week yes and I hopefully we'll be on track next and... week's story is <laughs> well, a little I'm... similar to this one as far as mo and kind of some of the things that went on and um highlighting the life of another another young lady who was stalked it seems so thanks um, for joining us and we'll we like to have fun so i hope you've enjoyed today's yeah and today um the story i got from a uh, true crime diary had it was a resource that had a lot of information on there so we'll link up to that in the description you can find us on our Facebook group or email us. Send Shannon a birthday message. Old time crime gals at gmail.com. And if remember, if you do the crime, it's going to catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it.